Well, it is so good again to be back with you guys today. I, I miss being here the last two weeks, but I want to just thank uh, our two great speakers who filled in, Ron Burgett and Tiger McClune. Uh, did those guys do a great job or what? Man, praise the Lord. So thankful for both of them. And uh, what perfect messages. Uh, you know, again, just such a natural fit into our John series to highlight the, the call of the Great Commission, taking the good news of Jesus to the whole world. And then Tiger, again, giving us some very practical ways to do that as we journey through life with others. And friends, if you didn't have a chance to hear those messages, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them because they were, they were truly powerful. They really inspired me as well. And I pray they did the same for you too. I know uh, Tiger last week, he, he didn't want to embarrass me, uh, and I appreciate that. But just in, in full disclosure, you know, Tiger was talking about that story where he was in the hot tub with, with those hard-bodied college kids. Well, you know, I, I, I happened to be one of those guys there that night. I know you, you probably don't find that hard to believe, but uh, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Tiger, Tiger was awesome. Not bad for a guy who looks like a homeless man we just pulled off the street, right? <laughs> I love Tiger. He has been a close friend for many years, and uh, what a blessing to have he and his wife Sue here at our church. And Tiger's been a real benefit and blessing to Pastor Justin and our student ministry and we're very thankful. Well, we're going to pick up today, continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 14. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, we are in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. We are less than 24 hours away from Jesus' crucifixion. And so Jesus here in chapters 13 through 17 is sharing with his disciples his final teachings, his final words of encouragement to them as he is about to be arrested and and be tried and crucified and then ultimately leave them. And Jesus' disciples obviously are dismayed and concerned and troubled by all that's taking place. And, And here today as we pick up in John 14, Jesus wants to share with his disciples some powerful words of assurance, words that can encourage us as well as we continue to walk in faith as his followers, as his people this very day. When I was a little boy growing up, I've shared stories many times about my father's ministry. He was a traveling apologist and evangelist, and he would often be on the road for weeks at a time. He would go on trips around the world teaching in mission organizations and holding crusades and sharing the gospel. And, and oftentimes these trips would take him away from home for two, three weeks, a month at a time. And especially when I was a young boy, that was really hard, you know, to, to have your dad leave home for those extended periods of time. And I remember my dad, he was so great in encouraging myself and my brother and my mom every time these trips would come up. He, he, he would share things before he would leave, like, Jason, I, I want you to know God's going to take care of us. He's going to watch over me. He's going to take care of you and your brother and your mom while I'm away. You can trust God's faithfulness. And, and then my dad would say, Jason, I promise you, I'm going to call you guys every chance I get. I'm going to do every chance I get to to reach out and call you. I will. I'm going to stay in touch. And then he would always tell me, and Jason, when I get home, we're going to do something really special together. And friends, I'll tell you something. Those words of assurance from my dad before he would head out on these trips, they meant the world to me. They they were really a gift to me that, that encouraged me in his absence. And you know something? Today in our passage, Jesus is going to do the same thing for his disciples. 
Jesus is going to share some words of assurance, gifts of assurance, if you will, to encourage his people as he was about to be betrayed and, and crucified and then ultimately resurrected and, and then depart for heaven. And you know, friends, as we live for Christ in this period of the in-between before he comes again for his people, we too need to hold on to these words of assurance. And so we're going to look at these great gifts of assurance here. We're in John chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. If you recall, Jesus has just shared with his disciples that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Really, the the heart of the gospel message, the salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the way to a right relationship with God. And now in verse 7, Jesus picks up this teaching with his disciples. He says to them, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Some interesting words here from our Lord Jesus Christ. But here in this passage, what I want to highlight for us are these gifts of assurance that Jesus leaves us. Gifts of assurance that can encourage us as we continue to walk in faith, trusting in him. The the first of these gifts of assurance that Jesus shares with his disciples here in our passage this morning is the gift of a great vision. The gift of a great vision. Here in the opening verses of our passage this morning, we find the astounding claim that separates Jesus Christ from every other great religious teacher in the history of the world. In verse 7, Jesus shares with his disciples, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Friends, this statement by Jesus separates him from every other religious teacher in the history of the world. Here Jesus is making the astounding claim of his self-identification with God the Father. Jesus is saying, if you know who I truly am, you will understand that I am one with the Father. Jesus is claiming here to be the creator God of the universe. God revealing himself. God come in human flesh. No other religious figure in history has ever dared to make such a claim. I'll never forget a few years ago speaking to a Muslim imam 
And we were talking about the reality of Jesus Christ. How Jesus Christ was God who manifested himself in human flesh to make himself known to us. And friends, that is really the the dividing line between Christianity and Islam. Muslims cannot accept that God would humble himself to such an extent that he would stoop down to take on human form. Because the Muslims believe that God is so great, he's so transcendent, he would never lower himself to human form. And and this Muslim imam, he repeatedly shared as we were talking about this, he kept saying, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. But, But what about God's greatness? Allah Akbar, God is great. And I shared with this Muslim imam, I said, you know, sir, there are two kinds of greatness. There's the greatness of of the king, majestic and supreme, who is so powerful, so grand, so far removed from the people that he rules over, that he lives up in his massive castle on the high hill that overlooks the village below him, and he's so far removed and transcendent from the average people that we look at that king and we say, that king is great. But I said there's another kind of greatness There's the greatness of the American medical doctor who who leaves his lucrative practice here in the Midwest to to go to Africa and to care for the AIDS patients and the orphans in their poverty and distress. And we look at that doctor and we say of that man, that man is great. And I said to this Muslim imam, that is is the kind of greatness we're talking about when we talk about the greatness of God revealed in Jesus Christ. God, in his great love for us, humbled himself, taking the form of a man, becoming a servant to lay down his life sacrificially in love for us. And because of that, we say God is great. We see God's greatness displayed in Jesus Christ and that he forsook, forsake, forsook, forsake all of his privileges in heaven so that we might know him and recognize his great love for us. Now, friends, I can imagine some of you can relate to Philip's response in verse 8. In verse 8, Philip goes on and he says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. You ever felt like that before, friends? You know, God, I mean, if you would just show yourself to me, it would be so much easier. I I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from from young people when I was a youth pastor, even my own kids. You know, Dad, why doesn't God just show himself to us? I mean, it would be so much easier to believe. But as Jesus responds to Philip here this morning, God has shown himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's he's revealed himself. He's spoken to us. To look at Jesus is to see God himself. Look what Jesus says in verses 9 through 10 in response to Philip. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, friends, understand what Jesus is saying here. 
Jesus is revealing to us that he hasn't just been sent on a divine mission by the Father, but rather it is the Father who is on a divine mission through his Son. And so Jesus' statement here is actually bringing us all the way back, reminding us of what John shared with us in the very prologue to his gospel. Do you remember how John opened up the gospel of John? Chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the creative, life-giving, powering force that made everything in the universe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus says to Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the father because the father is in me and the works I do are the works of the father. Now, I want you to notice, friends, in our passage, Jesus doesn't ask us to just believe this on blind faith. That's a very popular misconception in our world today is is that Christians just have blind faith about all these things, right? Like like we're just taking a leap of faith or, you know, jumping out in the dark. We hope this is true. We wish all this is true. That's not what Jesus says here about our faith. He doesn't say to his disciples, now, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I want you to just accept this by blind faith. No, what is the basis Jesus gives us? for accepting this incredible claim. Jesus says you can trust this because of my words and my works. He points us to objective, tangible realities. He says, look at these claims. He gets it. They're big, <laughs> right? These are, these are huge. But Jesus says trust these claims based on the words I've spoken and the works I've performed objective, tangible realities, not blind faith. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus says to his disciples, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So here Jesus points us to two objective realities by which we can judge and test his claims to be one with the Father. He says, judge my words and test my works. Judge my words and test my works. Now, you might remember, friends, that Jesus has already told us a number of times throughout the gospel that believing is seeing. Remember, we've talked about that theme a number of times. To believe in Jesus, to trust in him, to to respond to him with eyes of faith is to see the reality of who he is. The Holy Spirit illuminates those truths when we step out in faith, trusting in him, and we see with eyes of faith the reality of who he is. Remember, we saw back in John chapter 4, Believing is seeing. Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, and then he stays and he ministers to that village in Samaria. And John tells us that many of the Samaritans came to believe in him because of his words among them. Jesus didn't perform any miracles there. Yet the people responded in faith to the power of his word, and they believed 
And they saw the reality of who Jesus was as the Messiah. But then if you recall, Jesus leaves Samaria in the second half of John 4 and he goes back to Galilee amongst the Jews. And the Jews, they want signs. They want wonders. They want to see all the miracles. And Jesus does these miracles and yet they still did not believe. You see, seeing isn't always believing. But Jesus says believing in the truth of his word always leads to seeing. And I want you to notice here Philip asking Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough. What is Philip asking? Philip is asking for a demonstration. He he wants Jesus to visibly manifest the Father. But Jesus replies to Philip in verse 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, friends, this phrase, has seen, that Jesus uses twice here, this is an important phrase for us to understand. In the Greek, in the Greek, those words, has seen, it's one word, orao. And the word orao in the Greek means to see with apprehension or to perceive. In other words, it's to see the truth behind what you're looking at, behind what you're examining, to apprehend reality. And so what Jesus is saying here when he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, what he's saying to his disciples is it's not a physical seeing that's important. It's not a physical glimpse of the Father that's important, but it's a spiritual perception, believing by faith and then apprehending the reality of who Jesus is as God in flesh. And that's what really matters. That perception, that apprehension, that is true seeing. Now here's where this should encourage us today, friends. Okay, This should encourage us because what this means is that we too... 2,000 years later, have the very same ability as Jesus' disciples to perceive God in Jesus Christ. We, We don't need to see him physically in order to know who he is. It's not physical seeing that's important, but rather it's the spiritual apprehension of who Jesus is an apprehension that's rooted in his words, in his teachings, to believe them is to see him. We believe and God opens our eyes to see. So let me ask you this morning, friends. Have you seen him? Have you truly come to see Jesus for who he really is? If all Jesus is to you this morning is simply words on a page or or words a preacher is sharing with you, friends, I want to encourage you to ask God this morning to give you eyes of faith to see, to give you that supernatural spiritual apprehension that Jesus is talking about to perceive the reality of who he is through the power of his word. And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. And you'll begin to see the reality of who Jesus is. It's about that spiritual apprehension, which is available to all of us through the power of his word, illuminated by the work of the Holy Spirit.
Ask God to give you that, that vision. But it's not just his words here that Jesus tells us to trust in him by. He also invites us to examine his works. And his works here that he's speaking of are his, his actions among them, his miracles. If you recall, John throughout his gospel so far has been revealing signs. Signs, remember what are signs? Signs are miracles with a message. And the greatest of these miracles with a message is what we're going to look at in a few weeks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his ultimate sign, pointing to the reality that everything he said is absolutely true because he is Lord over life and death. He conquers the grave. He rises from the dead, verifying everything he's claimed about himself. It's his signs that Jesus says you can believe in me by. You can trust in me. It's not just my words, but, but trust also in my works. I remember a few years ago, I was on a flight to Portland, Oregon, and I ended up sitting next to a young man, and we, we struck up a conversation, and we, the conversation went in a spiritual direction. He found out I was a Christian. We started talking, and he said, Jason, you know, tell me something. If you had to kind of boil it down, boil it down what would you say is the reason you believe in Jesus Christ? And I shared with this young man, I said, that's really easy. I can, I can tell you in one word. Resurrection. For me, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence that he really is who he claimed to be. God in flesh. The Savior. The Lord of the universe. And I went on to share with this young man the, the, uh, the four-point test that I shared with all of you at Easter. The acronym TEST. The evidence for the resurrection. The T, the empty tomb. The E, the eyewitness testimonies. The S, the rapid spread of the early church. The T at the end of test, the transformed lives. And we went through these different pieces of evidence and I shared with him, I said, look, when you examine the evidence, when you test the claims of the resurrection, friends, this isn't about blind faith, hoping this is all true. We have very strong, valid reasons to believe that these are objective, historical things that took place and that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. And so when we look at his words, when we look at his works, what we find, friends, is that Jesus has clearly declared and evidenced for us his unity with the Father. When Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, he has given us testimony to that reality in his words, in his works. We can test these things. We can verify these things. We don't have to have blind faith to believe this. But here's the thing, friends. I want you to understand this. These claims of Jesus Christ, they demand a response. We, we can't be neutral about these things. We, we have to determine for ourselves this morning, who is Jesus? Is he really who he claimed to be? We, we can't just remain unaccountable to what he's saying here to us. A few weeks ago, I shared with you the results of a 2020 worldview survey that was conducted by uh, Arizona Christian Uni University and George Barna. 
It was a survey of evangelical Christians around the nation. And one of the things that that survey revealed is that 68% of evangelicals today in America believe that having faith is more important than what you have faith in. No! No, friends, that's baloney. Having faith doesn't matter one bit. It's the object of your faith that matters. You have to have the right object of your faith. And if Jesus is really the way and the truth and the life as he claimed back in verse 6, then nothing matters more than putting your faith and trust in him. And so, friends, when it comes to our response to Jesus' teaching here, as Tiger shared last week so well, we have only three options. As the great scholar C.S. Lewis says, look at we can either call him a liar, we can say he was a lunatic, or we can fall on our knees and call him Lord. Those are your choices when it comes to Jesus Christ. Friends, let me ask you this morning, who do you say he is? Because nothing else matters than what you choose to do with Jesus. So the second thing we come to in our passage this morning, Jesus has given us this great vision. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But the second point of assurance Jesus leaves his disciples with this morning, he gives us a great calling. A great calling. Let me lead us in reading verse 12 again. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, wow, (laughs) that's an astounding claim. He who believes in me will do the works I do. In fact, even greater works than I do. Now, the key words here in this this verse are the end of that statement in verse 12. Because I am going to the Father. Because I'm going to the Father, you can do even greater works than I have done, Jesus says. Here, Jesus is hinting at what we're going to learn more about in the coming weeks in John's gospel. His promise to send his people the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit who will come into the world living within his followers, empowering his followers for life and ongoing ministry to advance the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the commentators I read this past week, Gary Burgey, who authored the NIV application commentary on John, he says, as the Son incarnated the Father's presence in the world, so now the Spirit brings the Son's presence into the world through the life of the believer. What a great privilege is ours, friends. We have an opportunity to represent Jesus to the world through the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us. God empowers us by his very spirit, so that we can represent Jesus to the world. And it's because of this reality that the follower of Jesus can do even greater works than those of Jesus. Now you might be thinking to yourself this morning, 
Jason, how on earth can, can I do greater works than Jesus? I mean, Jesus walked on water. I mean, I was out at the lake yesterday. I, I, I jumped on our lily pad and I, you know, I sunk the lily pad. I mean, walking on water, forget it, right? Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few fish and loaves. Jesus raised dead guys to life. Jason, how on earth will I ever do greater works than Jesus? But friends, the key to understanding what Jesus is saying here is to understand that Jesus is not talking about doing greater works in kind, but rather greater works in scope. Jesus is calling us to carry on his ministry of advancing the good news of the gospel in this world. And it's not going to be through greater works in kind in terms of the the supernatural, miraculous works that Jesus performed. But we will, under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, do far greater works in scope than what Jesus ever accomplished. Think about this. Jesus was on earth for only three years. This church alone has been here for 36 years doing the work of the gospel. Jesus, friends, think about this. Jesus never ministered in a geographical area wider than a one day's walk. I mean, think about that. He impacted a very small area of the world. And yet here over the last 2,000 years, the message of the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. Jesus says you will do even greater works than I have done. When Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, do you know when he ascended to heaven, he probably had only a few hundred faithful committed followers. Again, friends, we have that many right here at Lakes Free. And then there are millions of followers around the country, billions of followers around the world. Jesus says you will do even greater works than these through the Holy Spirit who will come and empower you. Friends, please understand, this is an amazing calling that Jesus has given us here. And it applies to each and every one of us in this room. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, Jesus says you have been empowered to carry on the gospel work that he was doing and you can do even greater works. I guarantee you, friends, if we took a survey of this room, do you know we have some people here this morning who have spent their entire lives serving in Sunday school, serving in Awana ministry over decades. And I can tell you something, those individuals have impacted hundreds of lives for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think of the missionaries that have come out of this church, the pastors that have been raised up in this church, the thousands of people who have been impacted for the gospel as a result of the faithful service of God's people. And we're just talking Lakes Free Church. Jesus says, you will do even greater works than I. I heard an incredible story. I I had never heard this story before, a story from my own family uh, just a few weeks ago. You may recall one of my recent sermons I was sharing about my grandfather, Harold Carlson. He, he was the founding pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Roseville. Two of our friends here at Lakes Free, Alan and Kathy Steppa, used to be members at Calvary Baptist in Roseville. And uh, a few years back, years ago, they had a chance to actually meet my grandpa at a reunion anniversary celebration for Calvary Baptist. 
Well, Kathy emailed me a portion of the program from that event, an incredible story I had never heard. Jesus says, you will do even greater works than I will do. Well, the story goes that after Calvary Baptist was founded, this was back in 1945, one of Calvary's missions was they had a, what they called their gospel wagon. It was basically a hay wagon that they would tow to nearby communities and they would set it up in local parks and parking lots and they would hold worship services in surrounding communities around Roseville, Minnesota that didn't have gospel teaching churches. So my grandfather and a team of Christians, they would go and one of the areas where they would go and serve was White Bear Lake. And they would take their gospel wagon to White Bear Lake and they would set up, you know, in a local park and they would hold a worship service and my grandpa would preach. Well, over the number of weeks, a group of people who were attending those gatherings invited my grandpa to come and said, hey, would you come and and basically start preaching to us? We want to start forming a church here in this community. And so they started meeting at the White Bear Lake Armory, forming their own little church That church ultimately became First Baptist Church of White Bear Lake. Now that name might not be familiar to you today, but First Baptist of White Bear Lake is now a church named Eagle Brook, which God has used to reach tens of thousands of people for the gospel. And it all started with a gospel wagon and a handful of faithful Christians who said, you know what, we're going to take the message of Jesus to a place where there are no churches preaching the gospel. Jesus says, you will do even greater things than I will. Friends, do you believe that? If we are willing to step out in faith, walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, every single one of us can do amazing things for the cause of Christ. We we got a mission team this week traveling a thousand miles away to take the good news of the gospel, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You guys know something? Jesus never traveled a thousand miles to share his message. Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things than I did. When we step out in faith through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God can move powerfully in us, friends. Let's not forget that. Let's not ever take that for granted. As we start a new ministry year here this fall at Lakes Free, ask the Lord, God, where can I step up to serve? Where where can I step out to, to walk in faith, to be used? And I promise you, friends, you will see God do amazing things in and through you. Because that's what he's promised us through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. Now thirdly this morning, the the last gift of assurance Jesus gives his followers. He gives us a great promise. A great promise. Verses 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, Jesus says. That's an incredible promise. It's actually one of the Lord's greatest promises to his people, but it's also a promise that's often greatly misunderstood. You know, a lot of Christians, they read that verse and they think, man, all I got to do is ask something in Jesus' name and and God's going to answer my request. I mean, Jesus says, I will do it. Ask it in my name and I will do it. And so a lot of Christians, they have this view of God as if God is like the great pinata in the sky, you know, and Jesus' name is the stick. And if we just smack that pinata with Jesus' name, all the goodies will come flowing out because that's what Jesus says. But friends, the key to understanding Jesus' promise here is to recognize what it means for us to ask something 
ask for something in Jesus' name. What does that mean exactly? Well, the Apostle John provides some Holy Spirit-inspired clarity for us on this point in his letter known as the letter of 1 John. In 1 John chapter 5, John addresses this very teaching that he heard from Jesus Christ. And under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, John explains for us what Jesus is getting at here. In verses 14 through 15 of chapter 5, John says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, friends, understand, here John gives us some greater insight into what it actually means when Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. See, to ask in Jesus' name, to pray in Jesus' name, is to pray in accordance with his will. It's to pray in accordance with his will. That's what it means to ask something in his name. When we ask in his name, we are praying in accordance with his will. And if you remember, this is the exact same thing Jesus taught his disciples. The disciples came to Jesus. They said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Remember? And Jesus taught them the Lord's prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying that his will would be accomplished. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but I often get this really confused in my own life, right? I'm very quick to pray, my will be done, not thy will be done. But Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. We pray, thy will be done. That's what it means to ask something in Jesus' name. And see, the, the key to the Lord's promise here at the end of our passage, when our heart's posture in prayer is thy will be done, we can be confident that the Lord is always going to answer that prayer. Why? Because God is always going to accomplish his good and perfect will because that is what brings glory to our Father. God is glorified in the Son when his will is accomplished. And God will never fail to accomplish his will. I'm going to be going on sabbatical this summer for a month, the month of July we got some great speakers lined up while I'm away those few weeks. And one of the speakers is a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Mickey Klink. He's a fellow free church pastor in Rockford, Illinois. Some of you guys met him a couple years ago. He spoke for our men's advance. Mickey Klink is one of the world's leading scholars on the gospel of John. We get to have him here at our church. Mickey Klink, in his commentary on John, he shares these words about this passage. He says this, When a Christian prays then... They are agreeing to trust not only in God's sovereign and authoritative resources, but also in God's perfect and providential results. Now listen to this. What makes the prayer Christian and not pagan is that God is not used to fulfill the desires of the person who prays, 
but rather the person who prays submits his or her will to both the power and purpose of God. Friends, let me ask you, is this your understanding of prayer today? Is that what you understand when you go before the Father? When you go before the Father, is it in an attitude of submission? Praying that God's will would be done in whatever circumstances you might be facing. Is is the goal of your prayer that God would be glorified no matter the outcome of the situation that you're praying about? I want to encourage you today, friends. If you've never prayed this way before, Give it a try. And if you will, here's what you're going to discover. Here's what I promise. You're going to discover, number one, your faith will begin to increase in ways that you can't even imagine. You'll also discover that your confidence in God's perfect sovereignty, his good and perfect plans, will begin to bloom and blossom like never before. And thirdly, you'll discover your heart abounding in worship more and more as you recognize God being glorified in all things. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans eleven thirty six, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. Think about those words. From him, through him, To him are all things, and God will be glorified. And so we pray in Jesus' name, thy will be done. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for these great gifts you've given us and some of your final words to your disciples on that last evening with them. We thank you, Jesus, for these gifts of assurance that even though you're no longer physically with us, we have a confident basis to put our trust and hope in you. You have left us with your words through which we can spiritually perceive the reality of who you are as as one with the Father, God revealed in flesh. You verified those words through your powerful works and the evidence of, of who you are demonstrating the reality of your divinity. You have left us, God, with this great calling that that you have told us that we can do even greater works than what you accomplished when we step out in faith and in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then you've given us this great promise, Lord, that when we ask anything in your name, that your will will be accomplished, that you will be glorified through the answers to our prayers in Jesus' name. Lord, that's something that we often have to trust and and learn to grow in. And I pray that you would do that work in our heart, that we might see the reality that, that from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be the glory. Help us to hold fast to that promise and trust in that promise. And in that, Lord, may our faith grow and blossom like never before. Thank you for these great words, Jesus. We pray in your blessed and holy name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. 
And now, brothers and sisters, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, everybody. God bless you. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here. And I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.